Good evening, Lake Church. How's everyone doing tonight? Good. I'm glad to see everyone here tonight on this beautiful, rainy, dark fall evening, right? But it's better in here, correct? So let's just take a moment to welcome our online audience. We're glad that you're here with us. And it's Wednesday Night Live, verse by verse. We're doing Galatians. Well, the deal's down now, but it's with Pastor Kevin tonight, so we're excited to be a part of that. But we have a few announcements before we get started. The first announcement is for Greater Ladies Paint Night is this Friday night, October 27th at 7 p.m. It'll be at the uh, Student Ministries building. The cost is $20, and that will include your holiday sign to paint that you can display during Christmas, plus they will provide snacks and drinks for y'all. I know you guys are looking really sad because you're not invited, but don't give up hope because Elsie's gone country. That's our next announcement. I know Jesse's excited because he can break out his flannels. He was talking about that the other day, so I thought about him. You can break out your flannels. Your boots, your straw hats, your overalls, I don't care, just go country and come join us Sunday, November 5th. That'll be on a Sunday evening from 5P to 8P. Cost is $10 per person. What will that $10 get you? A lot of things. First of all, you get the choice of either chili or beans. Sides will be fried Taters is what the sign said. I had put potatoes, and then I looked at the sign, and I thought, I better correct that and go country. I am country. I grew up in all of Oklahoma, but I do not own cowboy boots, or I have flannels, so. And I don't say taters all the time, but there will be taters, cornbread, and a drink for that $10, plus a lot of different activities, and I will list a few. One that you all need to really, really get ready for is a blue ribbon pie contest. Think about that. Is anyone like really talented in the kitchen at baking pies? Or do you, or do you buy them from Tammy? (laughs) Right? We buy them when we come to church for our holidays, right? So for you all that can bake a pie, there is like a lot at stake here. The winner will win $100 cash. So even if you don't make pies, it might be worth investing 20 bucks in the ingredients and try it. You might win. You never know. It might be like, what do they call it? Beginner's luck? So if you have any questions, you can see Christy Greenwood about that. There will also be a mechanical bull. Please make sure you have health insurance before you try that. Also, there'll be panning for gold, jumps for our littles, sweet treats for sale. Also, square dancing, so you can do-si-do. And I made the comment, who knows how to square dance? I mean, does anyone in here know how to square dance? So I heard there will be lessons given. And there'll be much, much more. There was a couple other things I really didn't know what it involved, so I don't want to tell you. It'll be a surprise. So that'll be exciting. The next announcement is for the ladies' community Thanksgiving dinner, and that will be Tuesday evening, um, November 7th at 645 at the First Baptist Church. You can sign up um, to bring a dish, and that's in the guest services where you can sign up for that. So there's a lot going on, and I know it sounds like there's a lot for the ladies, but you guys don't forget to go country and be here that night for all that fun Bring your insurance card and ride the bull. 
That'll be fun. <laughs> okay, so now it's time to honor God with our tithes and offering. That, that's the best part. We can worship him this way. Um, I think you all understand what ties is. I mean, your littles are being taught this next door, and even your middle school and high school, they all know that ties is our 10% of our earnings, and we remind them, or what's being given to us, because they're not all working over there, of course, yet. Um, so anyway, that's 10%. Then offering is the above and beyond. So I just wanted to remind you with your offering, you know, we have so many areas that you can give above and beyond in, you know, with our missions and other things going on. But we also have our um, LC Vision 2025, and you can see the vision box over here on the side, and there's one out front as well. So when you're um, thinking about your offering, think about Vision 2025. It's the goal of paying off all the buildings by 2025. What a great goal that is. And don't wait. You know, I mean, God knows your heart. He sees what you're willing to give. Even if it's just a little bit every week or every time you come in, a dollar will add up between now and then, and God will reward you greatly for that, right? So I just wanted to remind you of all that. And the buckets are in the back if you want to Drop your offer or your ties off tonight or any offerings for that. We have our envelopes on the seat back. We have so many ways to give. The envelopes in the seat back to drop in the bucket. There's also the text to give. There's the church app, which is, I think, the most incredible thing ever. Plus, if you don't have the church app, you need to get it because not only can you give easily, you can also see the bulletin and know what all's going on because if you didn't catch everything I said tonight, it will be there, right? Then there's also, you can go to our website at lake-church.com and hit the giving tab there as well. So I will just pray over our offering, then we'll turn it over to Pastor Kevin. Father God, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight, Father God, and to be able to hear your word. And Father God, I just want to thank you for all of those that are here, and I just pray blessings over each and every one of them. And Father God, I know that you see their hearts and their willingness to give into this ministry. It is fertile soil, and we know that, and we believe the vision that the house has will be conquered quickly and easily in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good evening, Lake Church. All right. So we are back in our verse-by-verse study of the book of Galatians. So go ahead and get in your Bible. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. Of course, we started two weeks ago, but we had a rise last week. So um, we won't even count that first one. I get to start all over again. (laughs) Pastor, we're not counting that first one. I told him when he, stu- he did Ephesians, he got into verse 1 in one night, and I got into 3. So I'm ahead of the game. <laughs> so I'm excited. Uh, I, one of the things I, I love, um, of course I always love our Sundays, but Wednesday night to me is, it, it's the best. Because we get to do verse by verse studies of different books. And you know, topical Uh, studies can give you a broad understanding, but verse by verse gives you a deep understanding of the Word. That's really what we need. We get a lot of topical studies in the body of Christ, 
Um, but where you really get into growing and becoming a mature believer is when you go by, verse by verse. Because topically, you can skip stuff. The thing about verse by verse studies if you, is you're confronted with everything. And so it's super important that we do that. So that's one of the things I love here at Lake Church. And uh, Galatians, to me, is such um, a powerful book because I had a very legalistic understanding of how we relate to God. I grew up with this real legalistic mindset to where you measure your relationship with God based on your performance. And that is a very, um, that is a very bad way to live. Because <laughs> how many of you know that when it comes to our own performance, it's up and down. You know, I may do pretty good one day, but then I might not do so well the next. And I call that roller coaster Christianity. And I lived that a long time. I lived that a lot. You know, and we have this idea that when I'm doing good, I'm on the mountaintop. When I'm doing bad, I'm in the valley. But when you finally come to the place where you understand that our relationship with God is not based on our performance, but on the perfect performance of Jesus Christ, it brings about a stability in your relationship with God. It brings about a foundation where you can really begin to build your Christian life on that. So I'm really excited about the book of Galatians because I really believe that legalism is the uh, most detrimental um, thing to the Christian. I, I believe it's probably the biggest hurdle. Every believer has to overcome legalism in their life. I said every believer has to overcome legalism in their life. And we'll find out in later chapters that the whole world system is based on the same principles that operate in legalism. Every religion in the world is based on the principle of duty and obligation. And trying to appease God with the work of your own hands. That is what legalism is. But relating to God properly is relating by grace through faith in the, the goodness of God and what He provided for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So let's go to Galatians chapter 1. I'm just going to kick it off from the beginning once again. Like I said, we skipped a week, so I'm starting over. All right, so I'm going to read the first uh, five verses. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So in the first verse, I talked about this a little bit. Paul is defending his position as an apostle or his calling as an apostle because the people who were opposing Paul's ministry, you know, whenever, have you ever heard of this before? Whenever you're having a a debate with someone and you're beating them with facts, what do they do? They begin to resort to personal attacks. And that's what was happening is that Paul was, you know, they couldn't dispute his teaching. 
So they began to attack him personally and attack his calling as an apostle. They began to say, how could he be an apostle? He wasn't appointed by an apostle by the uh, leaders at the church of Jerusalem. And they began to attack him to try and discredit him based on his calling. And uh, so Paul is defending his calling as an apostle. He says, hey, look, I'm not an apostle because men chose me. I didn't get to be an apostle by popular vote, but by divine appointment. So he began to establish his authority as an apostle. And how many of you know that in the New Testament, it's the apostles who had the authority to set doctrine in the church? And the apostle Paul was chosen specifically by God to be an apostle to the Gentiles. So his apostleship was unique from all of the others. Uh, His ministry to the Gentiles was different because the Gentiles were never under the law. So there, you know, have you ever thought about, well, why did we need an apostle to the Gentiles? Because Gentiles and Jews are different. Jews had been living their whole existence for generations under the dispensation of the law. And Gentiles were excluded from the law. We were never under the law to begin with. So they needed a special apostle to be able to relate to them the truths of the gospel without mixing the elements of the law in with it and bringing about uh, trouble with the Gentiles in their relationship to God. And so he's defending his apostleship. In verse 2, he says that this letter is to the churches in Galatia. And we talked about that last week, that this is the only letter that isn't written to a church, but it's written to churches because Galatia was not a city, it was a province. So it was made up of several cities. And the interesting thing about that is Paul has to deal with the same issue in all of the different churches in this region, which shows you that legalism spreads real easily. People's tendency is toward legalism. In fact, you have to have a revelation from the Holy Spirit to be able to embrace the grace of God. Anybody can understand legalism. And a, a person who's not even born again can understand you get what you deserve. But it takes a revelation of the Holy Spirit to understand you get what you don't deserve. And that's what grace is. And people struggle with that. They would rather have, let me perform, let me work, let me achieve, let me earn. And it also feeds into the pride of man to be able to accomplish something and present it to God. It really requires you to humble yourself and say, there is nothing I can do. There is nothing I can achieve. There is nothing I can produce by myself to present it to God to get some kind of favor back in return. That's exactly what God's looking for. (laughs) That's exactly what he's looking for. So this was written to the churches of Galatia because, man, when legalism hit, it spread to every province quickly. That's what we're going to find out here in a couple of verses is that he's astonished at how quickly they turned from the true gospel into this uh, legalistic mindset. And so this was written to the churches of Galatia. We looked in Acts 13 and 14 at Paul's first missionary journey, which was Antioch and Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Then he backtracked through and went back to 
Antioch, where he started, the other Antioch, the Antioch in Syria, where he had began. And it wasn't very long after that he received word that they had turned from the gospel of grace and had embraced a distortion, which was a, not a departure from grace, but a mixture of grace with law. Okay, so he's writing to the churches in Galatia, and in verse 3 he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Listen, peace is the result of grace. Let me say that again. Peace is the result of grace. So how do you know when you're out of grace? If you're out of peace in your relationship with God, you're out of grace. Peace is the result of being in the grace of God. See, if you're striving in your own self-effort, you're never going to be at peace. Because in your heart, you know you fall short of the glory of God by your own actions. You know you don't please God by your actions. I'm going to say that again. You know you don't please God by your actions. What does Hebrews chapter 11 say? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Okay, so there's only one thing that pleases God, and that's faith. Not your works. Your faith in the perfect, finished work of Jesus Christ is what pleases God. Because you have to humble yourself and trust fully in what He has done for you, not what you're doing for Him. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. That right there is the gospel summed up in less than a sentence. You know what the two elements of the gospel are? Forgiveness and freedom. See, most people put all the benefits of of the salvation off to the age to come. Oh, well, when I cross over Jordan, when I go to heaven in the sweet by and by, that's when all of the wonderful benefits of my salvation are really going to kick in. No, Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. From this present evil age. And here's the thing, he doesn't deliver us necessarily from the presence of this evil age but from the power of this evil age. Oh, He delivers us from the power of this evil age while we're right in the midst of it. He gives us the ability to overcome the devil, the kingdom of darkness, and most importantly, our own self. Because really, the devil's not your greatest foe. (laughs) People really usually like that a lot. But the devil is not your foe. In fact, the devil's disarmed. Colossians says he disarmed principalities and powers, made an open show of them, triumphing over them through the cross. The enemy is defeated. (laughs) 
And we put an out-of-work devil back in business all the time because we give him a lot more credit than he deserves. You all get into this later on, but I just wonder, I was thinking about this a few weeks ago, how much of what we call an attack of the enemy is just reaping a harvest on sowing to the flesh? Uh-oh. It's easy to blame the devil. Oh, the devil made me do it. No, no, the devil can't make you do anything. <laughs> he might have presented something to you, but you wanted to do it. All right. <laughs> I'm going to get back up here. Get too close to you guys. <laughs> So the gospel really is summed up in the two things, forgiveness and freedom. Our forgiveness was for a purpose. Our our forgiveness was so that we could be delivered from what we were enslaved to, which was the flesh. Okay, so he came to forgive our sins so that he could fill us with his spirit, which empowers us. To be able to overcome our flesh and to walk in the spirit, walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he says that uh, he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So see, God gets all the glory. See, that's the reason people like legalism. Is because they can boast in their own goodness. It's attractive to people. Religion is attractive to people. You can see it all over the world. People love to get in systems where they can, you know, achieve and perform. Why? Because then they can compare themselves to other people, and they get this, they get this prideful pat on the back about how good they are, you know. They never compare themselves to God, which is who we're supposed to compare ourselves to, but they always compare themselves to other people, okay? And so the two, um, the two aspects of the gospel are forgiveness and freedom. Turn back over to Acts chapter 13. Just remind us of this. Let's look at where Paul preached the gospel for the first time in Antioch and Pisidia. I think I have it on here. Let me see if I can find it. So when he left out on his first missionary journey, he went to Antioch and Pisidia and went to the synagogue first, which was not what God told him to do. He said, you're going to be a witness to the Gentiles, kings, and then to your brethren. But how many of you know we always do things our own way at first till we learn by hard knocks? <laughs> uh, so he goes to the synagogue first. Why? Because we like what's familiar. We like what's familiar. And God's trying to deliver us from ourselves, really. But he says this in Acts 13 and 38. This is him preaching his first sermon that's recorded in the book of Acts. And he says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. That's an important statement right there. The law of Moses never was able to free you from anything. 
And the reason people think that, they, that it does is because they have a misunderstanding of why God gave the law to begin with. It was never a means of salvation. It was a measure for us to see accurately our inability to produce righteousness and holiness by our own self-effort. And so Paul declares that through Jesus, through believing, we receive the forgiveness of sins and we are freed from everything. Everything. How much is missing from the word everything? Nothing. (laughs) Through our faith in Him and the forgiveness of sins, we are able to be freed from everything that enslaves us. But listen, if you're still trying to be free through the law, you're not going to be freed from everything. In fact, the law actually gives sin an occasion against you. It actually causes sin to come alive in your life and to rule over you. And so Paul declares that uh, the gospel is the forgiveness of sins and freedom. And uh, if you'll notice, he never brought up anything about the law. That was it. In fact, after that, you can read the verses after that, After that, he warns them. He says, beware, unless what is said in the Old Testament comes true of you, which was talking about Israel's unbelief. Hmm. Just listen, let's just listen to the rain fall. It'd probably be more soothing. (laughs) Why would he have to warn them? Why? Because the gospel is offensive to religious people. The gospel is offensive to religious people. Why? Because it cuts the leg out from under your spiritual pride. It cuts the legs out from under your spiritual pride and forces you to humble yourself and admit that there is nothing good in you that is in your flesh. The only thing good in us is Christ in us. And people have a hard time admitting that because they think they're basically good. Most people think, oh, I'm basically good, but that's what the world preaches. Oh, we're all basically good. No, absolutely not. What the Bible teaches is that we were conceived in sin Because we all descended from Adam and original sin passed the sin nature on to every person. Let me ask you this. Do you have to teach kids to be bad children? They're naturally disobedient. (laughs) No, you have to train them to do the right thing. See, we were all born with this rebellious nature on the inside of us. And when you tell someone what to do, there's something within that just rises up and says, well, I'm going to do what I want to (laughs) do. It confronts the pride and the nature of the flesh within us. And the gospel forces us to admit not our strength, oh man, our weakness. That's the problem in the church. This is going to be a message for another day, but the Apostle Paul didn't boast in his strengths. 
he boasted in his weakness. And we're all so busy trying to show everybody how strong we are. And that's exactly why we're weak. The Apostle Paul said, I would rather boast in my weakness so the power of Christ can rest upon me. The power of Christ only comes upon you when you admit your weakness. Because when you're trying to still be strong in yourself, then you're going to find out how weak you really are. Man, that's why religion, that's why legalism is so dangerous. Because it is operating not in faith, but in the flesh. It's trying to fulfill the will of God in your life. I used to say, in the strength of your flesh, but I've changed it now. It's trying to fulfill the will of God in the weakness of your flesh. Rather than in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, which is by faith. So the Apostle Paul preached that, and the thing that I wanted to point out is that he never told them anything about the law. Never mentioned it. Why? Because the Gentiles, they didn't need the law. They were never under the law to begin with. I want to jump ahead, but I'm not going to do it. There's a lot I could say about that. But he never mentions the law here in verses 3 and 4. And he never mentioned it when he was preaching in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. In fact, he preached the word of God's grace. And every time he would leave them, he would tell them to continue in the grace of God. See, because there's two trains of thought that people deal with, and he... he um, He deals with both of them in the book of Galatians. The first is that you begin by grace, and the second is you continue by grace. And a lot of times what people do is they begin by grace, but then they shift over and begin to try to live by their works. Mm, That happens so much. We come just as we are. But then we think, but then we have these religious mindsets that cause us to begin to, after we start, we begin to try earning and achieving and working and presenting to God the works of our hands to try and earn some kind of favor from Him. And listen, if we're trusting in the works of our hands, we're not trusting in the work of Jesus Just put your seatbelt on because I'm going to keep hammering on that. Because I can tell. I can tell. Okay, so he came to deliver us from the power of this present evil age. Not the presence of it because we're still here. And you know, there's a lot that could be said about the present evil age. We talk a lot about the world system, and he came to deliver us from the power of the world system. But most of the time, when we think of the world system, we think of the secular aspects of it. And we're deceived into not understanding that religion is a part of the world system as well. And here's the big bombshell. Religious Christianity... And Judaism 
is just as much an ism as Hinduism or Buddhism or Confucianism or any other ism in the world today. They are all the same. There is an element of of religious Christianity that is anti-Christ as the secular systems of the world. Mm. I'm just going to let that sit there for a minute. Chew on that a little bit. (laughs) You know, Pilate was not he, he was not in covenant with God. Think about this. Pilate was not in covenant with God, and he had enough sense to try and wash his hands of crucifying Jesus. Who was yelling, crucify, crucify? God's people. Oh, come on now. The same people who were yelling, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord seven days before. That shows you how blind religion makes us. Oh my goodness. But he comes to deliver us from the power of this evil age. And I submit to you that if you read contextually, context is the most important principle of Bible interpretation. And if you read in context, this book is about religion. It's about legalism. So when he mentions the presence of this or this present evil age, he is thinking about the religious aspects of this age. And I'm not talking about pagan religion, but I'm talking about legalism. And Jesus came to deliver us from that. I said, Jesus came to deliver us from that. Man, I tell you what, if, if, legal, if, you, have ne- if you have ever recognized the bondage of legalism, then you'd be real excited to hear that Jesus came to deliver you from that. Man, that's good preaching, Kevin. I'll just go ahead and tell myself. <laughs> in fact, Jesus said in John 17, when he was praying to the Father, He said, Father, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. See, he didn't come to deliver us from the presence of it, but from the power of it. Why? So we could be a witness in this present evil age of the reality of the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of the believer, giving us the ability to overcome the kingdom of darkness, to overcome the secular aspects of this world, and to overcome the flesh, and to live in freedom. Hmm. To be redeemed to what God created us to be, which were sons and daughters made in the image and the likeness of God with authority to have dominion on the earth over all of the power of the enemy. Man. Not to, not to, uh, have salvation in principle and wait to go to heaven. Oh, man. Come on, but to have power in this world. Man, the gospel isn't about death. It's about life. It's about living. (laughs) Amen. Hallelujah. 
I'll just tell you this, whenever I got saved, of course, you all know where I was at whenever I got saved. So when I was in the Creek County Jail, um, honestly, I wasn't thinking about heaven and hell as I was living in hell on earth. (laughs) I was looking to be delivered from this present evil age that had me bound. That's what I was looking for. I was looking for power and life to live different. Mm. I tell you what, I found it. And I'm thankful for where I was at when I did find it because I had come to the place in myself where I had no confidence in my ability to do anything good or especially anything holy that I could present to God. So that's a good foundation to build on. You know, below the barrel. (laughs) Below the barrel, you know. Not the bottom of the barrel, but under it. The Creek County Jail was used to be a dungeon, so. <laughs> Let's look at Galatians 1, 6. We're going to go on to the next verse. Here is where he states the issue that he's going to begin to deal with through the rest of this letter. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ or turning to a different gospel. I am astonished that you are so quickly. See, people are so easily attracted and deceived by legalism. I mean, he had barely gotten back to where he started from, and he's already getting letters telling him about how these people had turned away from the grace of Christ. In fact, he says here, deserting him. Do you know whenever you turn from the grace of Christ, you're actually turning from him? Hmm. Turning to yourself. Turning from Jesus and turning to yourself. He says, uh, to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. So these two words, different and another, if you're reading the King James or New King James, it says, Uh, turning from another gospel, not that there is another one. And it uses the word another both times. But in the Greek, it's two different words. The first one um, is the word heteros in the Greek. The second one is the word alos. And heteros means one of a different kind. Alos means one of the same kind. So actually what he says here is, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel that is not one of the same kind. You're turning to a gospel of a different kind rather than one of the same kind. He says, not that there is another one. See, here's what the, here's the deception Deception is never just a complete departure from truth. Deception is always truth twisted. And these Judaizers that we talked about last time that were coming along behind Paul and bringing elements of the law into their faith 
We're not saying, oh, I'm bringing you something totally different. They didn't change the name Jesus. They didn't, they didn't give them something completely different. What they did is they said, good that you received Jesus, but now you need to be circumcised to be saved and keep the law to be spiritual. Oh, boy. Man, you talk about deception. Because they were, e- it was easy for them to fall, fall for that. They were immature. We're all come into the kingdom of God as babes in Christ. And it was easy to deceive them by adding something to the gospel. But when you add to it, you have just made it something different. It's not something something of the same kind that's just a little different. No, it's something totally different. In fact, the principles of legalism and the principles of the faith are opposite. Man. Here's what happens a lot of times is people think you need to balance grace. Everybody ever heard that before? They think you need to balance grace. Okay, we don't want to get it too far over in grace. You ever heard that before? You know what you have to do to balance something? You have to get something opposite in equal amount to bring balance. So what do they do is they try to balance grace with law. But let me give you a revelation. The law doesn't balance grace, it opposes it. Mm. Man, the law doesn't balance grace. It opposes grace. It makes it something different that isn't even the same. Let me show you this. Look at Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. The moment you add one element of works to faith... You ha- it has no longer is grace anymore. It's all you, baby. It's all you. Romans chapter 11. And let's look at verse 6. I don't have this in my notes, so... It says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Did you catch that? Let me read it again. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. You see that? Grace and works don't balance each other out. They oppose one another. And the moment you add any work to grace, you are no longer operating in grace any longer. I don't know if I'm communicating that clearly because I see everybody going. The moment you add any trust in a work, that you're doing 
to try and gain favor or earn a level of righteousness with God, you are no longer operating in the grace of God. You are operating in self-righteousness. Man. People usually struggle with this because they, they're so indoctrinated with legalism that when you start teaching this, they go, you're taking away all of my ability to live for God. How am I supposed to do this? Well, keep coming back. I can't tell you all of it tonight, but we're going to dig into this and we're going to find out. Because grace will teach you. Grace will empower you. Grace will inspire you to live by the power of of the Holy Spirit. See, Christianity isn't me living for God. Man, I did that under legalism for Christianity isn't me living for God. Christianity is meant to be God living through me. And it's not me uh, following all the rules. It's me learning to yield to the Spirit within me. And the new creation, the new nature that God put on the inside of me when I was born of God and I became a new creature in Christ. It's learning to yield to that by faith, not me trying to work and self-effort to produce something that I can present to God. Man, when you realize what the gospel tells us, by grace, He already provided everything. And by faith, I walk in what He's already done. I'm already blessed. I'm already accepted. I'm already healed. I'm already prospered. I already have the mind of Christ. I already have access to the wisdom of God. (laughs) In Him... And I'm one with him now. Mm. See, if you're trying to get something, it proves you don't believe you've got it. (laughs) Oh, man. If I'm trying to get something, it just shows that I don't believe I've already got it. Mm. Let me go back to Galatians 1, verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. See, the, the key, or let me say this, The gospel is the testimony of the grace of God. What is grace? It's what God did for us through Christ, independence of us. Well, Jesus came before you were ever born. He provided everything for you before you ever even existed. That's why I always say, before I ever did one thing wrong, before I ever sinned, all of my sins were already taken care of on the cross. Grace is the testimony of God concerning the person and the perfect work of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's a declaration that you either believe or you don't. 
That's the only difference between people that are in the body of Christ and people that aren't. People that are in have embraced the truth of the gospel that Jesus has already provided the forgiveness of sin and freedom from everything. And those on the outside have just not believed it yet. You know, I was listening to Bob Yandy and he was talking about witnessing to people outside of the church. And he said, most people are preaching the law and they don't even realize it. And then we wonder why we don't get any results. Oh my goodness. We're scared to preach the true gospel. So we think we're going to give people a license to sin. Listen, people are sinning without a license. They're not looking for your uh, approval for them to sin. They're going to do it anyway. It's their nature. Oh, man. But that's what we do. We think we're afraid to tell people the full truth about the grace of God because we don't trust in the power of grace to transform people's lives. We don't. We think they need some rules. They need some guardrails. <laughs> we try to be a Holy Spirit. And we don't make a very good Holy Spirit. Come on. Now that was good. <laughs> but if we would introduce them to God through grace, He could work in their lives. Mm. Man. Okay, so the hallmark of the gospel is grace. In fact, grace is the distinguishing characteristic of the true gospel. Without grace, there isn't a gospel. Because the word gospel just means good news. It means telling people good news. In fact, you don't really have to go convince... Well, I won't say that. Most people know they're sinners already. If you come across somebody who says they're not a sinner, then you can use the law. That's the purpose of it. To show someone that they're a sinner. But most people already know. <laughs> And they've heard, especially in the Bible Belt, they've heard enough legalistic preaching that they're already condemned and believing that they don't have any ability to live for God. That's why they're running from the church in droves, especially people who are raised in church. They're running from God. Why? Because they don't believe they could ever please Him. Why? Because they believe they have to pre please Him with their performance. Oh, man. And so they run from God. That's what I did. I ran, I wanted to get as far away from hearing anything. But then when I heard the true gospel, the gospel of grace is what draws men to God. It's the answer. <laughs> They already know that they got problems, trust me. 
They're looking for the answer. And grace is the distinguishing characteristic of the gospel message. It is the good news. But we mix a little law in with it and we take all the good out of it. There is no gospel without grace. Mm. Let me give you uh, seven things that the law cannot do. Okay? Seven things that the law cannot do. So get in Galatians. We're going to flip through some verses. We're going to go through them. I'm going to show you seven things the law can't do that Paul tells them. Because we're going to cut the legs out from under you tonight. (laughs) Of you trusting in your own performance. And it's going to liberate you. I'm telling you, it's going to liberate you. Because you know what it's going to cause you to do? It's going to cause you to put all of your faith and all of your trust in what Jesus did for you rather than trying to perform for God. And listen, you'll live more for God accidentally than you ever did trying to do it on purpose. (laughs) All right. Where's my stuff? Okay, Galatians 2.16. The law cannot justify you. He says in Galatians 2.16, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, say no one. Say no one. No one will be justified. Not a few people. No one will be justified by works of the law. You know what the word justified means? I like, I'm kind of simple, so I like to break this down real easy. The word justified means to be declared not guilty. And in fact, it means to be declared not guilty when you were guilty, but now you've been declared not guilty. That's what it means to be justified. And we are not justified by any works of our own, but simply by faith in the work of Jesus to go to the cross, to offer himself, to have his body broken and his blood shed as a payment. It was the redemptive payment for all of man's sins from eternity past to eternity future. And nothing but trusting in and relying upon what he did for us can justify The law could never do it. The law could never justify you. Let me ask you this. How were people justified in the Old Testament under the law? That's a good question. They were justified by faith as well. Let me ask you about Abraham. He was before the law. Abraham was justified. In Genesis 15, 6, it says God declared him righteous. God declared him righteous. He didn't even have the law. He simply had a word from God. What do you think the gospel is? It's a word from God. And when you believe in it and you trust in it, that's what faith is. You are justified. Even though you were guilty and deserving of the wrath of God and destined for hell, you were declared not guilty 
and made righteous as a gift. Woo! The law could never do that. In fact, it was never meant to. Okay, so number two, law cannot impart the Spirit. The law cannot impart the Spirit. If Galatians 3 and verse 2, the Apostle Paul asks them a rhetorical question. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer is by hearing with faith, not by works of the law. He's talking to Gentiles. They never had the law. So he came, he preached the gospel. They heard with faith. They embraced the message and they received the Spirit. But the law can never impart the Spirit. Number three, the law cannot produce miracles. Drop down to, um, well, let me just read verse four. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you And work miracles among you, do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. By hearing with faith. In fact, if you want to cause miracles not to be in operation, just start preaching the law. Because it's impossible to receive something that you believe you have to achieve to get. And most of the time, the reason people struggle with receiving from God is because they're trying to earn it. How many times have you heard this? Well, I don't know why God hadn't healed me yet. I pay my tithes. I read the Bible. I pray. I go to church. Well, I can tell you why. Because you have told me everything you're doing and you haven't mentioned once what Jesus did. (laughs) Misappropriated faith. That is faith in you, not faith in Jesus. So it can't produce miracles. Number four, it can't impart life. That is Galatians 3.21. It says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Why? Because Christianity isn't a religion, it's a life. Jesus came to give us eternal life, which isn't a quantity of life, it's a quality of life. It's the very life, nature, character of God imparted to a human being through the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a life. What did Jesus say? He said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. And that word life means divine life. It's the life of God. It's what we were without before. (laughs) He came to give us the life of God and the law could never impart life. Okay, so the law could never impart life. The law can never mature a believer. In fact, the law keeps you um, as a child, I'm not going to go to this and read it, but you can look at Galatians 4, 1 through 3, which talks about that when a child, uh, when a person is a child, even though they're an heir of everything that their father has, they can't, um, 
They're no different from a slave until they get mature because they can't have it yet. That's what the law did is it kept us children until Christ could come so that we could actually become mature sons of God and we could partake of the inheritance of God. The law could never do that. It can never make you mature. You know why? Because the law treats you like a child. The law says, if you do that, isn't that how we treat kids? What do we say? So like if a kid takes a toy from another child, we say, hey, give that back to them. And we don't explain to them how that's not loving and all this stuff, because they can't understand that. No, you say, if you do that again, I'm going to spank your little bottom. (laughs) And they learn how to respond to that pain on the backside, but that doesn't cause them to be more mature. That takes a process. Okay? So the law could never make us mature. In fact, it keeps us children. Because it constantly tells us what to do and not to do, but it never teaches us why. It never teaches us how to operate in godliness, which is you learn to think like God, then you're able to act like God, and then you're able to be a partner together with God. Then you're able to partake of the inheritance, which is to be a participant in what God's doing in the earth. Number six, it could never provide freedom. The law is bondage. Look at Galatians 5.1. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I remember when I first got saved, I read that. And when I read yoke of slavery... I thought yoke of sin. You know, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the law. (laughs) It's bondage. It's bondage. So it's a yoke, the Bible calls it a yoke of slavery. In fact, I'm running out of time. uh, But if you go to Acts chapter 15, where they had the council at Jerusalem to discuss whether or not Gentiles should keep the law. Peter stands up and says, why are you putting God to the test by putting a yoke on the Gentiles that neither us nor our fathers were able to bear? You know what he said? When you put the law on Gentiles, you're putting God to the test. Oh man, that's serious business. Why? Because you're putting his people in bondage and you're keeping them immature where they can't grow up and begin to function by the Spirit and be mature sons sons of God and able to operate the way He created us to operate. Number seven, um, it can't bring the flesh into subjection. The law cannot bring our flesh into subjection. Okay? It doesn't do anything to stop the lust of the flesh. In fact, when you read Romans 7, you find out that the law actually stirs up the lust of the flesh. 
So look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or another translation says, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. You know, I think a lot of times what people, because of our religious mentality, we read that backwards. What it says is that if you will walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But because of religion, we think, well, if I can just resist the flesh, I'll walk in the Spirit. That's not what it says. Oh. Because mm. you can resist the flesh and never walk in the Spirit. Man. Help me out, Jesse. I need to get out of this. <laughs> you can walk in the, I mean, you can resist the flesh for the rest of your life and still never walk in the Spirit. Because you walk in the Spirit by faith. And how does faith come? By and hearing by the Word of God. So see, religion teaches us to focus on our behavior. Okay, if I just behave right, right? But actually, faith says, work on your believing and your behavior will begin to change. In other words, right believing leads to right living. But so many believers don't deal with renewing their mind. They don't read their Bible. See what I'm saying? They don't renew their mind with the Word of God. They don't read their Bible. And so they never renew their mind. And so their believing never empowers their behaving. But instead, they just simply try to resist the flesh. And in the weakness of their flesh, they're trying to overcome the desires of the flesh. And it don't work. Listen, you can change and modify your behavior for a little while. And some people can do it longer than others. But eventually, you'll default to what you believe. Especially when the pressure's on. Oh man, when things get, when the pressure gets high... If you have not renewed your mind to the truth of the Word of God, if you have not changed the way that you see yourself, if you have not cultivated a Christ inside consciousness, when the pressure comes, you're going to operate in the flesh and you're going to find out just how weak the flesh really is. Oh, but when you renew your mind and you cultivate a Christ inside consciousness and pressure comes, you'll rise up in the power of the Spirit. You'll say, greater is He who is within me than He who is in the world. And the power of the Holy Spirit will empower you to say no to the flesh and to bring the flesh into subjection. Man. But you won't be doing it, trying to do it to please God or to be justified. You'll be doing it because you already do please God and because you already are justified. <laughs> There's a big difference. There is a huge difference. 
Man, when you understand that now, because of our union with Him, when you understand that you are one with Him, it changes your identity. You begin to understand that what's true of Him is now true of you. And what belongs to Him now belongs to you. And you're able to live by faith in the new creation man that's on the inside of you. And you'll begin to live holier by accident than you ever did trying to do it on purpose. (sighs) And it took me a long time to be able to say that. I tell you, I'll just close with this. You know, I was on drugs for 20 years. And um, I tried to quit a lot of times. Because I was threatened that if I didn't quit, I was going to pay some, you know, major dues. So I did. I tried. Um, It didn't ever last very long, but I did try. But I remember, um, you know, I remember a point in my life where I can remember exactly where I was at and I remember saying this to myself. I guess this is just who I am because I had tried and failed so many times. See, the problem with that is I was identifying with it now. I had taken my experience and my failures and I had embraced them as that's who I am. And that's when it really gained power in my life. So I remember saying, I guess this is just who I am. I guess I am and always will be a drug addict. I'll always be an alcoholic. I'll always be a criminal. I guess this is just the way I was made, I guess, you know, or whatever. And um, I remember doing that. But then whenever I got saved, I started meditating on 2 Corinthians 5.17. And it says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And I mean, I was meditating on that, just thinking about it. And I always thought from the way that I believed legalistically, I thought being a new creature meant that my behavior changed, and that's what made me a new creature. And, and as I got to meditating on that, I realized something. That's not what it was saying. It said if I was in Christ, I was a new creature already, and that old things passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Man, I started meditating on that. I started you know, looking inside and I started realizing, man, I am in Christ. I am not the same person that I used to be. In fact, the old me was crucified with him and put to death and buried with him. And when he was raised, I was raised a brand new creation. And I'm telling you that faith, just a light came on in my heart. And I stood up in the middle of that jail pod with guys all around. And I just said, I'm not 
not a drug addict. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a criminal. I'm not destined for a life of death and a life of destruction. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I'm telling you what, the addictions and the things that had bound my life for so long fell off. That's the difference in working and living by faith. That when you begin to embrace the truth about what God has declared about you, and you begin to meditate on that and embrace that as your reality, the Holy Spirit will bear witness to that, and you'll begin to believe it. And when you believe it, you'll begin to walk in it. Oh man, I'm telling you, that's the way you'll want to live. You gotta see yourself in here. Mm, The way that God sees you. And the great thing about it is He's detailed what that looks like here in this Word. See, religion has caused us to see this as a devotional book. This is what I do so that God will be pleased with me. I see a lot of people shaking their head yes. They understand what I'm saying. I read to prove to God how how serious I am. That's absolutely wrong. That's absolutely wrong. Am I saying you don't have a devotional lifestyle? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying your motivation means everything. This isn't a devotional book. It's a developmental book. This is what gives you the ability to operate in unseen things, in unseen realities. This is what gives you the ability to operate in the spirit realm by the power of the Holy Spirit as a new creation in Christ Jesus. The new man on the inside when you're in Christ is the hardware and this is the software that runs the hardware. You can have a computer and not load any software on it and it won't work. But when you put the software in the hardware, man, you've got an operating system (laughs) that will cause you to operate according to what you've placed on the inside of it. Man, hallelujah. I don't know if you got anything out of that tonight or not. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. We got to get liberated. We got to learn how to operate as new creations and how to live by faith and not by works so that we can be living by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by the weakness of our flesh. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you tonight for your goodness. We thank you for the testimony of your grace. We just thank you, Father God, for the reality of the Holy Spirit living within us, inspiring us and empowering us to live the life of your design. I just thank you, Father God, that your word is truth. And I declare your word over your people tonight. Father God, that they are blessed according to your word. They are healed according to your word. And they are prosperous according to your word. Thank you, Father, they have the mind of Christ and access to the wisdom of God. And that in Christ Jesus, 
They are forgiven and freed from everything. I said they're forgiven and freed from everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Before you leave, if you have something you want prayer for tonight, you want to be ministered to, if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, you've never received the Holy Spirit uh, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, if you have some kind of physical issue you need help praying over, I want to invite you to come up. We'll have ministers here at the end. But I'm finished, and you're dismissed. In the name of Jesus, amen.